0: Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be with you here, and so great for those of you joining us online. Uh, We're we're working through Acts, and we're in Acts 18 today, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 18. Uh, But if you remember back, I was was thinking about this, because we've been in Acts for a while, and so if you've been with us, we started Acts way back at the beginning of the summer, and we've just been working our way through and it seemed like it was taking forever. Now all of a sudden we're here midway through November and we're, we're getting towards the end. And, and not only that, but it's, this week is kind of one of those ones, right? Like for those of us here in the Midwest, if you're watching from somewhere else, sorry. Right? But for those of us here, right? It's, this was the week. Like this weekend it went from like, it's been fall. And like now all of a sudden it's fall. Right? <laughs> right? We just had that beautiful long, and all of a sudden everything changed and... Of weather yesterday, like it's like, yeah, oh. But I was thinking about it because it's, it's been just so long as we've just walked through Acts, right? And we've been going through starting and all the way at the beginning when Jesus had appeared to the disciples and he was uh, talking with them and then ascended into heaven and, and it starts out with just the disciples gathered, kind of huddled together in Jerusalem. And now we're in Acts 18, and, and the church is pretty much all over the known world. It's just amazing to see how, as we've looked at how God has, has used people, and as we see the story of how the gospel spread. And really, that's what, as we read this passage, we're looking at how the gospel is spread. And so I want to just read this passage. We're right at the end of Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 24, just a couple of verses here 24 through 28. And it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him when he arrived. He was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So in this little passage, we see these relatively new characters, right? Priscilla and Aquila, we've just met them this chapter. Right? And we've been, as we've been going for, again, since the summer, we've been working our way through Acts. We've, we're used to all these regular characters, right? We've got to know Peter well, and, and for the most part, it's Paul. And then all of a sudden, we're here in this passage, and, and none of those characters show up. And so I want to just, if you weren't here last week, or just to kind of recap where we're at, uh, let's look at, at chapter 18, kind of the whole picture of where we're going. So Paul, we've been following. He's been going all around the known world, and at the beginning of chapter 18, he he comes to Corinth, and he meets this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And As we talked about last week, they they were an encouragement to him, and they spent time together. They they had a, a similar trade, so they worked together, and they served the church, and Paul poured his life into this couple. And he trained them and he encouraged them. And then the three of them go to Ephesus. And they go there to serve the church. And they're caring for the church and ser- serving there. And then Paul takes off and he gets off to Syria. And now we come to this part here. And all of a sudden, this, this, this new guy, Apollos, comes from Egypt. Comes into Ephesus and he starts... Teaching and preaching, and then Priscilla and Aquila mentor him, and then in these couple verses, then send him off, and he heads off to another town. And so, as we look at this little passage and kind of all of chapter eighteen, but these these four verses in particular, as I, I was looking at it and studying, really, it, it came down to me the, the the core thought that comes out of this is is how does the gospel spread? And it's really been throughout the whole book of Acts, but specifically, how does it spread? The gospel spreads through people. The gospel spreads through people. And I'm sure you're sitting there at, at home or here together and you're like, wow, Mark, some, that's some deep thoughts. Oh like, yeah, obviously the gospel spreads through people. Right? We've, that's, as we've read through Acts, as read through this story, it, it's, it's how it's gone. Just in this chapter alone, Priscilla, Aquila, Paul, Apollos, that like God used these people to spread the gospel, that's, yep, it's a simple truth. Those people faithfully spread the gospel in Corinth, and Ephesus, Syria, and then goes on to Achaia, and, and as we read throughout the rest of the New Testament, we see that they didn't stop there. Paul continued to go all over the place, and Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos continued to, to travel and to serve the churches throughout the world. And so God does use people to spread the good news of the gospel, but, but like most things, we've taken a simple truth and we've like made it complicated. And so we can understand a simple truth and say, yep, that, that makes sense. But then when it comes to like, well, what does that look like? Then we start to, then we just start to muddle things up and make it confusing. And so what I want to do this morning is we look at this, this simple truth that the gospel spreads through people. And I want to look at, well, what does that actually look like? What are, what are some of the things that we bring into it that make things confusing or, or, or stop us from being a part of this? I think there's five points that I think are going to help us break this down. And, and let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. Because when we look at Acts and we look at Paul, right, how do we describe Paul? We describe Paul as, as this, this amazing evangelist and missionary who God used single-handedly to spread the gospel throughout the known world. And you see, as, as we do that, yeah, yes, Paul was a mighty evangelist. Yes, Paul was an effective missionary. Yes, Paul went to every town that he could go to and was kicked out of almost all of them and thrown in jail and beaten and stoned, and all of those things. But when we make a statement like that, what we do without even realizing it, all of a sudden we just, we just elevate Paul and put him on this pedestal. Because yes, Paul was a mighty evangelist and missionary, but the key point is that he was a mighty evangelist and missionary who was used by God. And so I think the first key that we have to recognize as, we're, as we look at this idea that, that the gospel spreads through people is that God chooses to use us, but he doesn't need us. Again, we go back to looking at Paul and, and, and seeing him as this superhuman. Right? And as we've read through Acts and then as we look at all the letters that he wrote to the churches, right, we, just, we just make Paul to be this incredible star. And yes, was Paul gifted as a communicator? It seems to be. Was, was Paul gifted with just this incredible drive and like lack of care for himself? It seems so, right? He went everywhere boldly proclaiming the gospel even though he knew it was at his own risk. And he didn't stop, and he just had this incredible drive. But when we do that, we make Paul the, the star of the show. But that's not how Paul saw himself. And it comes out as you read some of the letters that Paul wrote to the churches as he encouraged them. Look at how he saw himself. In, in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.15, he describes himself as being the chief of sinners. And in Romans chapter 7, this is how I describe it. I was reading through this with some guys, and, and we talked about this. That Paul describes himself, he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Right? When Paul looked at himself, he saw all of his flaws, all his shortcomings. But we look at him, and we just raise him up on this pedestal. We make Paul the hero of the book of Acts. But Paul understood that he was nothing without the grace of God. Because when we read through the book of Acts, the hero of the story isn't Paul. The hero of the story is Jesus. When we read through the Bible, the hero is none of the characters in the Bible. The hero of the Bible is God. The hero of all of human history is God. And that's the core truth that we have to keep coming back to Jesus is the hero, and he chooses to use ordinary people to carry out his purpose, his mission, his plan. And so as we read through the Bible, we see God using ordinary people. Paul was an ordinary guy with tons of flaws and tons of mistakes, and God used him. Abraham was a childless old man that God used to become the father of a great nation. Moses was a washed up guy who was afraid to speak. David was the runt of the litter who was a repeat failure. Amos was just a shepherd. Daniel was kidnapped and brought to a foreign land. Peter, James, and John were just fishermen but they're the pillars of the church. Paul spent his time working for the wrong team. Right, He was the persecutor of the church. God uses ordinary broken people to carry out His purpose, His mission, His plan. It doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter who you were. Because the gospel changes our identity. Right? The gospel changes who we are. Because it takes us from wherever we were, whoever we were, and we, become, we can become new. We become children of God. We get adopted in as sons and daughters of God. That is our new identity in Christ. Romans chapter 6 goes through and it talks about how we were crucified with Christ and we're brought to new life. We have this new identity as children of God, as people who have surrendered and put our trust in Jesus. We have a whole new identity. It doesn't matter who we were. We have a new identity. We call this whole process of being raised to new life, we call it Sanctification. Right? Because although the moment we put our trust in Jesus, we are made new, we are a new creation, we are sons and daughters of God, the whole process of becoming like Jesus doesn't happen instantly. All right? We all know that in ourselves, right? Because we, we look at ourselves and be like, man, I've, I trust in Jesus, but I, I still can point out all of my flaws, all the error, all the things in me that don't look like Jesus. And that's this whole process that we go through. It's, we use the big word sanctification, but really it's just this process of becoming like Jesus. I've been reading a book by this guy named Jeff Vanderstelt, and I love his definition of sanctification. He says that sanctification is moving from unbelief in Jesus to belief in Him in the everyday stuff of life. How are we learning to believe Jesus in the ordinary day-to-day stuff of life? I trust Jesus to be my Savior. I understand my sin and I trust Him. But now how am I learning to trust Him and obey Him with the mundane day-to-day life? How am I becoming more like Jesus? God chooses to use us. The other thing that we have to remember when we talk about the gospel being spread through people is that this is an, it's an intentional process right? Sanctification being made like Jesus. We, we also use the word discipleship of, of learning to follow. That's what Jesus did, right? When Jesus came to earth, he grabbed the 12 disciples. He gathered them with him, right? We call them disciples, right? For a reason, because they, they, became, they were discipled by Jesus. He spent time with them. He poured his life into them for three years, day in, day out, traveling, eating, teaching. He taught them. He spent time with them. He cared for them. He poured himself into those guys so that when he left, right, when he ascended to heaven, his last instructions on the end of Matthew 18, we call it the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. That's what we're called to do, make disciples. That's what Paul did. As we've been reading through Acts, we keep seeing it happen again and again with Barnabas. And then he's with Silas. And just in this chapter alone, he he meets Priscilla and Aquila. He pours himself into them. He teaches them. He, he, He spends time with them. He encourages them. He builds them up and then sends them out to care for the churches, to teach, to encourage, equip. And then Priscilla and Aquila do the same thing with Apollos. They meet with Apollos, and, and I love the little phrase. They, they explain him more adequately. Right? They filled in the gaps in what Apollos was missing. And again, then at the end of the chapter, then they send and encourage the church so that Paul, or Apollos can go and care for others. Is this intentional process of pouring our life into other people. It's what Jesus did and what he calls us to do. So who are the people in your life? Right, who are the people in your life who are pouring into you, who are encouraging you? Have, have you sought those people out? Have you established a relationship with people who love Jesus and who can be an encouragement to you? Who can keep pointing you to Jesus in all the everyday stuff of life? And who are the people that you are surrounding yourself with that you can be an encouragement to? Right? Oftentimes we think of it as this one-way process, right? I need to find somebody to disciple me and appoint to me. But, but it's both. We need both. It's this intentional process of how God uses us to spread the gospel. And so we are discipled and we disciple other people. Right? We make it, again, we make discipleship this big scary thing, this formalized process. But really it's just spending time with other people who love Jesus and who can encourage us who can instruct us, who can point out sin in our life and doing the same for others. Now, as we do that and we start to recognize this idea that God uses us, sin likes to creep in. And it creeps in very subtly in the form of pride. And as we recognize this truth that God uses people to spread the gospel, we have to remember there's no place for pride. There is no place for pride. But I want you to put yourself in this story for a minute. First in the form of Priscilla and Aquila. This couple, they meet meet Paul in Corinth and, and they just... Form this bond and, and this friendship, and Paul spends all this time with them, training them, encouraging them. And th- again, remember, this is this is Paul we're talking about. This is this is the guy who's traveled all over the known world, preaching the gospel boldly, establishing churches, and just clearly gifted by God for this. And and he picks us, and he spends all this time with us, encouraging us. And then and then he must think that we're We're ready because he invites us to go with him to, to Ephesus and to go and care for the church there. So we go with him and we're serving the church. We're caring for them. We're teaching. We're encouraging. We're doing all these things. And then Paul, again, another sign of approval is like, man, you guys got this. And he takes off and heads off to Syria and he leaves us in charge as the people to care for the church. And then all of a sudden, this Egyptian guy from Alexandria comes to town and he's just, he's just this dynamite speaker. And he's coming and he's, he's teaching and, and he's encouraging. Everybody's just flocking to him because he's just drawing so much attention. He's just, man, he, he's dynamic. People are listening to him. And as we listen to him, he doesn't even have all the facts right. He's, he's got some gaps in what he knows. Right? You see how pride could easily just creep in there? And Priscilla and Aquila could just run Apollos off because he he doesn't even understand the baptism of Jesus. He's missing, his his doctrine's not all squared away. He's he's got some holes here. Let's let's shut him down. But no, what do do Priscilla and Aquila do? They do the same thing that Paul did with them. They invite him over and they spend time with him. They they pour themselves into him because they see that God is using this guy. God God has gifted this guy. So let's pour into him. And equip him to, to be used by God. Then on the flip side, here's, here's Apollos. Man, he feels that God is, has gifted him and, and called him. So he, he packs up and heads off across the Mediterranean to Ephesus. And as he goes, he's, he's, it says he studied Scripture. He was well-versed. He understood the Scriptures. And so he goes and he just starts preaching and teaching, and and clearly his teaching's effective because people are coming to listen. People are affirming that in him. He's like, this is awesome. And then this old couple come and say, Hey, we need to talk with you. You're, you're, you're missing some stuff. And again, there's an opportunity for pride to come in, but what does Apollos do? He humbles himself and he listens and he learns from them. And so when we talk about the gospel being spread, it's there's no place for pride because, again, in the end, it's not about us. And, and that attitude then, though, continued. At some point, Apollos ended up in Corinth, back in Corinth, and was, was working with the church there. And so Paul, when he writes his first letter to the Corinthian church, he's addressing this issue that's raised up. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12-13. That's what Paul says, he said, what I mean is this one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas or Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? It clearly no. Paul's writing to the church and What's going on here? There's this division in the church because you're, you're claiming your favorite teacher. Right, you know, well, I, I, I'm with Paul, or I'm with Apollos, and he's like, no, right? There's no room for pride in the gospel. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the one who Jesus is the one who was crucified for us. It's not. It's not us. Right. That, that same thing continues today. Right. It's it's not about me. It's not about Pastor Matt. It's not about Miss Deanna or Miss Lori or Ross. Right. It's not about any of us. It's about the gospel. It's not about Hope Church being the gift to Dubuque or to the world. No. Jesus is the gift that the world needs. God chooses to use us. There's no room for pride. Everything we do is in response to a God who loves us and rescued us. We want to exist to point people to Jesus. We don't, we don't care about the vessel, right? We're just that. We're just tools that God uses. He chooses to use us, and it's not about me and what I have to offer. It's all about the message of the gospel. And it's all done through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not about us. It's not, we can't let pride come in at all. Because it's all about Jesus. We want to point people to Jesus. So another area where, where we screw up, right? Another area that we run into problems is when we talk about the gospel being spread through people. Is, is This is not a job for professionals, right? There are definitely some jobs that are for professionals. Right? There are some definite times where we, we need to call in professionals for work, Right? We all have our shortcomings. Some some of you are talented and can do lots of things, right? And lots of us are are good at our professions. But there are certain things that we're not gonna. Me, for example, um, every year there's this thing called taxes. I go to a professional. Um, People who know me well, I am not a detailed person. Uh, I learned that the hard way in college when my senior research project, as I was presenting my senior research project, I realized I was missing like a whole bunch of data points, which were apparently important. Um, quickly learned that I was headed into the wrong career field. Um, because I, I just didn't, I don't care, I like big picture stuff, I don't, I don't care about details all that well. And so when it comes to details, which apparently taxes are supposed to be detailed, like I call on a professional. Right? And there's lots of areas where we need to call in professionals. But not with this. The gospel is not a job for professionals. Right? Yes, God has gifted some people incredible teachers. Again, we look at, at our pastors like Paul was clearly gifted and called by God and used by God. Apollos had these gifts of being able to like, eloquently and effectively communicate the truth of God's word. As a church, we've been blessed for over 20 years with Pastor Matt, who's been gifted to lead us well and teach us well. God God definitely uses people as professionals, but, but I want you to look at this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. God gave us some people like that. God had gifted and equipped certain people who have talents and abilities that we don't have. He gifted some people to be professionals. But why? And I think oftentimes we stop right there. This next part's important. Verse 12, to equip his people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Why has God given us teachers and pastors to equip the body, to equip all the believers, to equip the saints to do the work of ministry? Hope Church, we've got got a staff who God has called and gifted to, to lead and to do things, but whose job is it to the work of ministry? Whose job is it? It's us. Each and every one of us, all of us who've been called by Jesus, are gifted with talents, abilities to serve one another. Why? It's that whole sanctification piece, right? It's so that we can all grow to become like Jesus, so we can all be equipped to care for one another. God's called all of us. The gospel is not a job for professionals. Uh, again, th- this little passage, Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila, they're just, they're just regular people. The, the apostles are gone. Peter's not in it. Paul's, Paul left for Syria. He's not anywhere near them. And the work's all being done by, by regular people who were using what God had gifted them to do. And look at Apollos; he didn't even have, he didn't even know everything right. right. He hadn't learned everything that he needed, but he was obedient. He felt God pull him, and saying, "Hey, I want you to go. I want you to. I want you to teach. I, I've equipped you. I've gifted you to be a, a great speaker." And so he studied the scripture and he went. And it's not until after he's already teaching that that this couple pull him aside and be like, "All right, so here you've got some missing pieces. Let's fill you in." But he was obedient. How often do we do that, though? Right? We, we've got this idea of maturity, right? Again, even from Ephesians 14, right? That, we're, that our goal is to grow, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is ahead. And so we've got this idea of Christian maturity that I need to know everything. I need to, I need to understand it all before I start doing anything. I've got to get my, my life together. I've got to get my act right. I need to make sure that my life matches Jesus and I understand all of the Bible and like my, my, my family's all perfect and everything's good, then I can start serving. But no, we're called to serve and as we serve, we mature. Because the end goal is to grow in Christ. To grow as we learn to reflect him. We learn to imitate him. Because maturity isn't this complete knowledge and looking perfect. Maturity is being like Jesus in attitude, thought, speech, behavior, in all things like Christ. How do I learn to to think like Jesus? How do I surrender my thoughts to Jesus so that they begin to imitate him? How how do I learn to, to control my attitude? How does that come under the authority of Jesus and and begins to reflect Him. The things I do, how do I learn to control the things I have? How do I use the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the possessions that God's given me? How do I use them for His glory? How do I imitate Jesus? That's the end goal, is that we begin to look like Jesus. And as we serve, As we serve the body, as we do the work of ministry, God equips us. God refines us. He chips off the things in us that don't reflect Jesus. See, if the end goal is to look like Jesus, I'm not there yet. I've got a long way to go. Many of you know me and many of you have pointed out things to me that don't look like Jesus and I'm learning to surrender those things to Jesus. I want to grow. None of us have attained the measure of Jesus that we're that we're chasing after. Right? But that's the end goal. Is that we grow to imitate Jesus. So let me ask you what what are you doing? What are you doing to grow? Are you serving? Are you being used by God? Are you studying his word? I, maybe for a lot of people, that's that like scary thing. It's like, well, how do I read the Bible? Right? And so I, I, I don't know. It's intimidating. So I'm just going to wait. And every Sunday, one of, the, one of the pastors will read me some. That's not going to cut it, right? We, how are you learning to grow? How are you digging into God's word? How are you, how are you doing that? We want to, again, as a, as a church, as pastors, teachers, God, God's called us. We want to equip you. We want to encourage you. And we actually, like with the Old Testament, right? Like that's that, that crunchy part of our Bible that we don't often because it's really confusing. Right? We've got a great thing coming up in January. It's called Walk Through the Bible. We're, we're going to Saturday morning. We've got a teacher who's coming in that walks us through just an overview of the Old Testament. It's an incredible thing to to be able to understand. A great first step of being able to break the the Old Testament down and be able to understand some of those truths. And you can can register for that. It's it's well worth your time as a tool to, to grow and be able to understand God's Word for ourselves and to study God's Word. In fact, if you text WTB, to the church number that we're always telling you to to remember. If you text that, it'll bring you right to that that sign-up link. I would encourage you to do that. Because we need to study God's Word. Because we understand God's Word, we understand what God is like and what it means for us to imitate Him. Are you finding people like Priscilla and Aquila that you can encourage? Are you finding people like Paul who can encourage you and pour into you? Are you connected into a life group of people who gather together to encourage one another, pray for one another? Point us to Jesus. What are you doing? Ultimately, it boils down to this. As a church, how effective are we as a church at making Jesus the main thing and equipping disciples to grow in their faith and point people to Jesus? because it's not about how many followers we gain. It's not how big Hope Church grows. It's not about how popular we become. It's not about any of those things. It's all about the gospel. We want to point people to the gospel because the gospel is the hope of the world. And really that that brings us to the final point this morning, and and it all is about the gospel. God chooses to use people to spread the gospel, but it all comes back to the gospel message. And the question, what's the gospel doing in your life and how's it affecting the world around you? We need to keep coming back to the gospel and this realization that on our own, we are all sinners separated from God. But God sent his own son Jesus to rescue us and to be crucified in our place so that his death provides the forgiveness of sins. And gives us new life in Him. So when we surrender to Jesus, when we turn our life from our own way and follow Jesus, everything changes. That gospel message, that's the hope of the world. That's the hope that has transformed my life. It's the the gospel message that's changed all of us. And we want to surrender our lives to Jesus, to follow Him in everything that we do. It's what we saw in Paul, right, as we've read through Acts. Paul, from the moment that he came face to face with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he understood what God did for him, everything changed. And the gospel mission became his life mission. And he surrendered himself to that. He raised up Timothy, Silas, Priscilla, Aquila, and the list goes on, and he equipped them to spread the gospel. And that same mission is true today with us. That as a church, that will, that's what we exist for. We, it's on our sign out front. We exist to help people connect with God. We wanna connect people with the God who loves them so they can understand this gospel message because it's what changes everything. It's not about Hope Church. It's not about any of us. It's about what Jesus did. It's the hope that every single person needs to understand, and we want to point people to Jesus. So it's our turn. What are we we doing with the gospel message? Are we just trying to understand more and more so that we can know everything and our lives can look perfect? Or are we willing to be used by God to point people to Jesus, to get out of the way and let the gospel message spread to every single person that we come in contact with? Because that's our prayer. Our prayer is that we point people to the God who loves them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that your gospel, that the hope of the world is, is the thing that we all desperately need and that there's nothing that we can do on our own, but it's all about you and what you have done for us. Jesus, we pray that that gospel truth would just, it would be ever before us. That we wouldn't confuse things with with all the the extras that we try to add on, but that we would just be reminded of the simple truth that you loved us and you came and you rescued us. God, may we surrender our lives to that and may we be transformed by the gospel as we learn to trust you in all of the everyday, ordinary things of life. Jesus, may you continue to work in us to refine us and to change us and to mold us into the image of your son that people would catch a glimpse of Jesus and they would understand the hope that has changed our lives and they would turn to You. Jesus, we pray that in everything we would make Your name known and Your gospel clear that we wouldn't get in the way but that we will appoint people to You. We ask this in Your name. Amen.